Thank you, Daniel. It's nice to have such wonderful artists that go to Victory Life, isn't it? And that can minister that way. Thank you. It's also wonderful to tie your shoe before you start going around the stage preaching, because then you don't trip and fall. Uh, Children from Young Disciples, you are with us today. Did anybody not get a set of the notes? Because Pastor Spring has those for you. If you take those to Young Disciples next week, there will be a prize if those are filled out. And uh, most of what uh, is going to go on those notes today is going to show up on the screen for you. Adults, there are no notes for you. Feel free to take some if you'd like. Uh, And turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 16. Title today's sermon, In for the Long Haul. When somebody says they're in for the long haul, that sort of means that they recognize that what they're embarking upon is going to take a long time, that there's going to be some hard work involved, but at the end of the day, if they continue to work and they continue to be faithful to the cause that they're in for the long haul for, there's going to be a spectacular benefit to that. And so naturally, on Monday, uh, January the 4th, there's going to be a lot of new people in for the long haul at Planet Fitness because they will be ready to complete a hard task in order to get back where they want to be. Often, uh, men will say this to their wives, don't worry, hon, I'm in for the long haul. And usually that's after they've watched their third NFL game at about 1130 on Sunday night. See, they're trying to tell somebody that, listen, I'm committed here. The problem with saying, I'm in for the long haul, it's usually prefaced by, don't worry. Don't worry, I'm in for the long haul. Meaning, I I haven't necessarily been giving the effort that makes it look like I'm in for the long haul. Perhaps you have doubted because of where my heart is at that I'm in for the long haul, but don't worry, I'm in for the long haul. Part of our heritage as evangelical Christians is we believe in this concept of committing our lives to Christ. We believe in the concept of the altar call, which means that we move towards God and kneel before him to commit something to him. And many times as Christians, we have looked at God and said, God, today I want you to know I'm in for the long haul. I'm in. And then sometime after that, we look at God and say, God, don't worry. I'm in for the long haul. Because perhaps our commitment level or our ability to convey the hard work that it takes for completing the task that God has given us has lagged just a bit. Well, I want to talk today from the life of one of the kings of Israel and use his life to demonstrate to us how to be in for the long haul. And it's a cautionary tale. In fact, Paul tells us in the letter to the Corinthians that The Old Testament is designed to both give us things to aspire to and also to use as cautionary tales. And today on this December the 27th, I want to give us a cautionary tale and then give us some practical application on how we can make sure that we are in for the long haul in our relationship to God. Are you in chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles? Let's read in verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa... King Basha of Israel went up against Judah and built Ramah to prevent anyone from going out or coming into the territory of King Asa of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, 
who resided in Damascus, and said, Let there be an alliance between me and you, like the one between my father and your father. I'm sending you silver and gold, so go and break your alliance with King Basha of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. So they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abomeim, and the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa brought all of Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with them he built up Geba and Mizpah. Now, if you were able to read that and understand all of what was going on, you're amazing. I went to Bible school for a long time, all right? And, and I had to look up some things here, all right? There, there are three different nations named, three different kings and six different cities, all of the ancient world. And so if you got all that the first time we read through, I am tremendously impressed. But probably most of us, including myself, went... Could there just be one more name that I can't pronounce in that passage, right? So let me try to explain to you what's going on, and that will help us to get to where we want to go today. This is sort of the tale of three nations. Many of you know that after the reign of King Solomon, his son was sort of an idiot, and he ended up getting the nation split in two because of his hard-headedness. Israel, or the people of Israel, the Jewish people, then become two different nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Asa, who we're talking about here, was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of the Jewish people. And north of him was King Basha of Israel. Now what we find out is happening here in this story is that King Basha of Israel has gone to the southern edge of his territories, the northern edge of Asa's territories, and he's building a Berlin Wall, if you will. He's building up a city from which he can put all of his troops and make sure that he can squeeze the life out of the smaller and and, and less powerful nation of Judah. And Asa, their king, is not having any of that. So Asa decides, I've got a a plan. If Israel's north of me, I'm going to go to the nation that's north of Israel, and I'm going to give them a bribe. And I'm going to say, listen, Ben-Hadad of Aram, I'm going to pay you to attack Israel. Attack my enemy so my enemy will withdraw from me. It's a good time to do it because he's focused on me building up this Berlin Wall of sorts. So go ahead and attack his northern cities. And it ends up working. Basha has to withdraw because he's attacked from the north. So Asa has created a, a, a brilliant political scenario. He recognizes that he doesn't want to go out and fight this battle. So he bribes a northern neighbor to attack the aggressor who's attacking him. And all of a sudden, his land is set free, and he goes and takes all the stones and all the timber from that Berlin Wall of sorts, and then he builds up some of his own fortifications. It seems like Asa has done a pretty impressive thing here. Without spilling any blood, he has averted war and strengthened himself. King Asa, for most of his life, was one of the greatest kings of the nation of Judah. He really did things well. He was a good king. In fact, there are so many things in the list of things that King Asa did well. He defeated the Libyan and Ethiopian armies, even though his nation was small in terms of land mass and number. 
He had the country of Judah put away all of their idols. He, he destroyed pagan shrines. He made sure that people served the Lord. He removed his wicked mother from power, who was not a God-fearing woman. Try to remove your mom from power sometimes. See how that goes. He led the people into a covenant with the Lord that all would seek the Lord. All right, so he is leading these people in a spiritual fashion. He's, he's really having them serve God with all their heart. He cuts down the central pagan shrine in the land. He was said in chapter 15 to have a heart to God that was true all his days. And there were 20 years of peace in Judah. And if you know anything about the 800s BC, there wasn't a lot of peace for 20 years anywhere. He had done a tremendous job. And as we get to chapter 16 here of Second Chronicles, it seems that he has just accomplished one more incredible move in his kingship. But that's not the end of the story. Look down at verse 7 with me. Now at that time, the seer Hanani came to Asa of Judah. Now if you see seer there, just read prophet. It's some, the same kind of word. So seer is another name for prophet. So the seer Hanani came to King Asa of Judah, and he said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with exceedingly many chariots and cavalry? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose heart is true to him. You've done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. And then Asa was angry with the seer, and he put him in the stocks and in prison, for he was in a rage because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties on some of the people at the same time. And we're not going to read it this morning, but a little later on we find out that Asa died quite a miserable death. Now, if you just look at those first couple of verses of chapter 16, you might think to yourself, wow, that guy did quite a neat move there to protect his nation. But for some reason, God's a little upset with what Asa has done. And if you want to see why God's upset, you don't have to look very far. All you need to do is look at some of the context clues. First, God comes right out and says, why didn't you trust me? 20 years ago, you trusted me. When you fought against the Ethiopians and the Libyans, and I delivered your entire nation. Why wouldn't you trust in me now? Why make an ally with the king of Aram? But there's a context clue that's even a little more weird here. Something that I read a number of times and almost missed, but something occurred to me as I looked down at verse 7. Will you look at it with me to see why God's so upset? He says, because you relied on the king of Aram and did not rely on the Lord your God... The army of the king of Aram has escaped you. Now, hold on a minute. If you were following Pastor Matt's lengthy dissertation on northern and southern Israel and Aram, you'd know that Asa wasn't fighting Aram. Who was Asa fighting? Israel. This must be a biblical misprint. Somebody must have copied this wrong on the scroll. He wasn't fighting Aram in the first place. Asa was fighting Israel and their king, Basha. Could it be that God, through the set of circumstances 
that Asa was facing with the fortification of Ramah, could it be that God had a greater plan in place for Asa to execute? But Asa, by going out on his own and figuring out on his own, missed the opportunity that God had planned for him. It's there. It's right there in the scripture. He wasn't in a fight with Aram, yet God says the Aram or Aramean army has escaped you. God had a greater plan for what was taking place in Asa's life, and he missed it. There's one more context clue that also tells us a little bit about where the state of Asa's heart has come to. Look back at verse 2. It says back in verse 2 that in order to bribe the king of Aram, Asa took silver and gold and treasures from where? The house of the Lord. Ha. That's a yucky one. That's pretty bad. That'd be like me looking at you and saying, hey, we're going to build a church in Topeka, Nayarit, Mexico, and I just mortgaged our church to do it. You wouldn't be very happy, would you? God was not happy with this. God had a greater plan. God didn't need his temple to be robbed in order to get his will done. But for some reason, Asa thought he had the right to drain the treasury of the Lord. How did the good king Asa get this far? What happened to this guy? What took place between the end of chapter 15 and the end of chapter 16? Or the beginning of chapter 16? The only thing we know that took place is 20 years. We don't know what took place in those 20 years. But if we use the clues that we just read from the scripture, it seems to me that success probably came between God and Asa. Now, I don't imagine that King Asa, with all the good deeds that he did, really recognized many times that his relationship with the Lord was beginning to slip. But the good times in life often make us forget what is really necessary. And what we see here from Asa is that by the time that we reach chapter 16, By the time of the end of these 20 years of peace, Asa's heart is very, very far from God. What other explanation do we have for Asa throwing the prophet into prison? What other explanation do we have for, and Asa inflicted cruelties on some of the people? He he tortured people? He oppressed people? This isn't good King Asa. This This is a monster. What took place? Well, we'll use our final context clue to answer that question. Verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord Asa ranged throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose heart is true to him. Or as many of you have in your translation, a heart that is completely his completely his, at peace with God. That's what God is looking for. Asa's heart apparently was only partially God's. Something happened where after Asa had said to the Lord, Judah and I were in for the long haul, something happened where he wasn't quite as committed as he used to be. 
It's very easy when we run into success in life, when security finds us, when health is good and bank accounts are full, that our relationship to God begins to slip. And we say things to ourselves like, my heart has always been true to God, and therefore what I do is going to be blessed, whether or not I consult him on what I do. God's going to bless it because he's blessed me in the past. So I could be quite sure that he will bless me in the future. No need to consult. No need to work on this relationship between him and I. I know what I need to be doing. And the truth of this situation and the truth of so many of our situations is that when we have a little bit of success, when we have some peace, when things begin to look at the way that they should, that familiar relationship with God breeds lethargy. Familiarity breeds lethargy in so many of the relationships that we have, especially in our relationship to God. To give you a prime example of how familiarity breeds lethargy, wives, have you ever said to yourself, oh, I don't know, in the past month or so, past year or so, whatever happened to the man that I married? Familiarity breeds lethargy. What happened to that guy? He used to buy me presents. He used to take me on dates. He used to wear nice clothes and not those sweatpants. He used to refrain from producing bad odors in my presence. What happened to this man? What happened to the guy that I married? Familiarity breeds lethargy. Old hubby ain't working as hard as he used to be. And isn't it true that in our relationship with God that familiarity breeds lethargy? That we're no longer in this relationship to God that is so full of desire for intimacy, so full of desire for growth, so full of desire to complete good tasks that we just sort of relax into our relationship with God. I wonder if God ever asks of us, where is the man, where is the woman whose heart, soul, mind, and strength were once mine? Where is that man? Where is that woman that once said, God, I'm driving a stake for you, and I'm going to follow you all my days, and you are the God whom I'm going to serve, and Father God, I am going to complete what you have put me on this earth to complete. Have we become lethargic in our relationship to God? Because if we have, there is a very, very strong warning from Scripture that lethargy in our relationship to God works negatively in both ways. On one side of things, we find from the story of Asa that if you're lethargic, you're not going to complete the task that God has you to complete. God's long-term desire was to give Aram into the hands of Asa. But all Asa did was protect his little country by making that alliance. He didn't end up doing what God had planned for him to do in life because he had got lethargic about his relationship to the Lord. But there's another side, and perhaps more scary to some of us, not only that we will not live our life to the fullest and complete all the tasks that God desires us to complete, but perhaps the other side of it is when we begin to get lethargic in our relationship to the Lord, 
sin follows. Because he threw that prophet in the stocks. Because he oppressed and did cruelties upon his people. Lethargy toward God from ones who have once served him never fails to produce sin. Never. And we don't speak in absolutes in this pulpit a lot. We try to stay away from always and never. But lethargy towards God from those who have once known him and served him always produces sin. Nobody would have ever expected Asa to be the kind of king that would inflict cruelties upon people. And when we are not living in the fullness of what God has called us to live in, when we are not completely his, sin will take us further than we ever wanted to go, and it will keep us longer than we ever wanted to stay, and it will make us do things that we never thought we'd do. The eyes of the Lord are looking, in the old King James, to and fro, looking for hearts that are completely his. Folks, I know that this can be a solemn warning today, but I want to give us some good practical application on how to make sure that we truly are in for the long haul with God. Because on the other side of being a heart that is completely God's is fullness. Christ came so that we might live abundant life, life to the fullest, the life that God meant us to live. I want that life. I pray that you want that life. Lethargy towards God is not going to get us there, but if our hearts are completely God's, he looks to come into our lives and strengthen our weakness and, and do things in our lives that we never thought possible. That's who God is, and that's what we should desire from him. Let's talk about three ways that we can stay in with God today. Three ways that we can make sure that we are in for the long haul and don't end up in a place of sin and uncompleted tasks. First, if we're to take a look of Asa's life and see what he could have done, he could have avoided ungodly allies. Allies that weren't the Lord. What did Asa really do here if we just get down to the nuts and bolts of the situation? He used his wealth as an ally, didn't he? His wealth was the ally. I've got money, so I'll make the problem go away. And I want to tell you today, Christ was very clear, and the New Testament is very clear to people who call Christ Lord. Wealth is not an ally. Wealth is merely a tool in the hands of God. Wealth isn't an ally, it's a tool. And in this case, it was not meant to be the tool that Asa used to overcome the situation that he was in. God had something different planned. But I tell you, one of the easiest allies to exchange God for is wealth. I have money, and therefore my problems are taken care of. But Asa had all the wealth that he needed, and where did he end up? Uncompleted task, and in a place of sin. Don't make wealth your ally, make it your tool. And it's a call for us as a church in general, who we're supposed to be as people who follow after Christ with all our hearts. We must use our collective wealth, not as an ally for security, but as a tool in the hands of God. He's going to bless us when we do that. But there are so many other allies that we take in this life to try to help our lands, if you will, live secure. 
So many of us are, who are overweight, we use food as that ally. When life gets tough, when Rama is being built up in our life, we just make sure that we run to the refrigerator or run to Taco Bell for fourth meal or whatever it might be for you. We make sure that we have something in our lives that takes care of that need that's there. For many of us in this place, that ungodly ally is alcohol. It used to be a glass of wine with dinner, and now it's the glass of wine after work and the glass of wine with dinner and the glass of wine during your sitcom and your nightcap. And all of a sudden, that alcohol becomes the thing that you are just craving in your life rather than craving God and what he has for you. People use sex in this way. I'm not going to get into that very far today. But people use it in all types of ways that it wasn't meant to be used by God in order to fulfill something in themselves. And it's not an ally that's ever going to make you happy. People use diversions and projects and things that they want to accomplish that have nothing to do with what God has put them on this earth for. But that becomes the thing that they run to when life gets tough. Life got tough for Asa 20 years after the last time it was tough. And instead of running to the ally who had always been the best ally, he ran to his wealth. What are you running to when life gets tough? It's a good indicator of where your heart is at and if it completely belongs to God. Where are you running to when you've had a bad day? It's a good indicator of where your heart is at and what your relationship to God really looks like. We're not trying to be church killjoys here. But what we are trying to do is make sure that we are breeding people here in this place whose hearts completely belong to God. That don't use other things to take the place of what God should be in our lives. When life gets tough, remember today, God is your true ally. All the rest will fail you. It's like putting diesel in a gasoline engine. It's not going to get you anywhere. It might be fuel, but it's only going to lead to destruction. Two, rely on the Lord to do your job. The issue at Ramah that Asa was having was God's problem to solve. It may have been Asa's to execute. Asa probably would have had to do something to make sure that this situation was alleviated. But I want to tell you today what Asa missed and what we miss so often is that our life is God's to direct. So it would be wise for us to stop taking things in hand before God has directed us. God wants to give you wisdom. In fact, it says in the book of James in the very first chapter that he wants to give it liberally. He just wants to pour it out on you. And in the old King James it says, and upbraideth not. I don't know what that means, but thank God for the NIV that says, without finding fault. He wants to give wisdom into your life without going, you idiot. Instead, he wants to give you the way to go and the thing to do. But so many times we run into situations and we run into places in our lives and we just take things in hand and we take them right out of God's hand. That's what Asa did. He took this situation in hand. He made an ally. He made a situation and he solved his problem. But he didn't complete the task that God had for him. And I want to tell us today, those of us who may be defeated, the Ethiopians and Libyans Libyans many years ago, maybe we did accomplish something for the Lord many moons ago. 
We must not sit back secure and safe and forget to do our job. The mark of the Christian man and woman is to consistently seek the Lord for what is next. If Asa had one failing that we can be sure of, it is here. That he did not consistently seek the Lord for what was next. He allied himself with his wealth and his power and his secure place in life. And he stopped seeking the Lord for what was next. The Asa of 20 years previous would have known that God desired to deliver Aram into his hands, that his great enemy would be his. But Asa had no clue what God was doing and what God was up to and what God was trying to accomplish because he was not consistently seeking the Lord. God wants to do great things in our life if we'll let him. Our side of the job is to make sure that we're seeking his face and listening for his wisdom because he did not put you on this earth to make some money and get some secure and take some vacations and then die. That's not living. God placed you on this earth to expand the very kingdom of God He placed you on this earth to partner with Christ, to remake this place. And he has good things in store for you, but you've got to seek his face and not become lethargic in that. And three, how do you stay in? And maybe this is for some of us today who feel like we've accomplished something in this life. When God confronts you, don't puff up, but bow down. Asa got in a rage when God confronted him on his sin. Asa got angry. Asa lashed out. Asa, in essence, said, I'm the king, and I'm not listening. When God confronts you and I, we can do the very same thing. We can ignore, or we can get in a rage, and we can say, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I'm not listening. How dare you say that? I want to tell you, the script still could have been flipped in the life of Asa. There is no heathen fatalism within Scripture. The idea that you can't ever come back from a wound. God is a redemptive God, and he desires to make all things new. But Asa, when he was confronted with his sin, didn't bow down to God. He puffed his chest out, and he said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't tell me about that. Ungodly allies and lethargy in our relationship to him are what God often confronts us on. And that's what God confronted Asa on. That's what God wants to speak to us today. That we have allies in our lives that we have made to try to cope with the violence that this life can give us. And he wants to be our ally because he has things to accomplish through us. And God does not desire that we become lethargic in our relationship to him because the mark of someone who accomplishes things for God is that they're consistently seeking him for what's next. That means he's going to confront us when we're lagging in our relationship to him. He's going to come to us when we're forming allies that are not of him. What's our response going to be? Because that's how we're going to stay in. That's how our relationship to God's going to grow. When we say, God, I bow down to you. I'm not going to stick out my chest and 
get all huffy and and get angry. I'm going to bow down and I'm going to respond to your word to me because you're speaking to me right now. Estrangement from God results from puffing out your chest and doing it your own way. And I promise you, you do not want to become the version of yourself that ignores God because that person's miserable. The person that God wants you to become is full of joy, full of peace, full of accomplishment. And he wants to do that because he loves you and created you with a plan for your life. He wants to do in and through you more than you even believe is possible. And unlike Asa, he desires that you finish strong, that your life to the very end screams, Jesus saves. He doesn't want you to be weakened by your ungodly allies. He doesn't want you to be destroyed by your boring plans for your life. He wants to step in to your life, and he wants to bless you. He wants to make your life worth living. He wants to do so much in you. Don't get lethargic on him. Stay in for the long haul. Continue to put in the effort in your relationship to God because he has good plans for you. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father God, today we are in this place because we are after you in a fashion. Lord, we come to church because we are some of the few people in the United States who on a weekly basis say, God, I want you to speak into my life and I want you to change me and make me the person that you've designed me to be. Father God, I pray that that would be our heart's prayer and our heart's cry today. That, Lord, each and every one of us would desire to become the person that you want us to be. And, Lord, we want to be people who, when you look to and fro throughout the earth, that you look at and say, they are completely mine. God, I want to be completely yours. I pray for each and every one here that they would desire to be completely yours. I'm going to ask our elders to step into the aisle this morning. We're going to end our day's, today's service with a time of prayer. And if God's speaking to you, perhaps about an ally that's not of him, that you're running to, perhaps today is the day to bow down and say, God, I don't want to give my life to that ally anymore. You're my ally. You're the one who I'm going to walk through this life with. I'm going to commit that to you today. I'm in for the long haul. Lord, perhaps there are some among us today who just say, my relationship with you, it's become a little bit lethargic. I have not put in the time. I have not opened my listening ears or sought your word into my life. And I want to tell you today that I am recommitting myself to this relationship. And then finally today, for those of you who 
have come here with an overwhelming need. You know that you have a God who wants to meet you in this place because you have a physical ailment, a family situation that's a mess, a financial situation that's overwhelming, or just a lack of direction. We just want to pray for you. So today God's speaking to your heart and saying, come to me. Come to me. We have some things to talk about. I invite you to come. Be anointed by our elders. Be prayed for. God's spoken to your heart today. Just come and kneel before him. Come and say, God, I'm yours. My heart's yours. Completely yours. I'm in, God, for the long haul. I just need to reaffirm that today. I don't even know of maybe of any sin that I'm in. I just need to affirm that today. I'm in. I'm in. I'm completely yours. Completely yours.
just sing to him again. Holy design, this place and time. Father God, I trust that you're speaking to hearts today. I trust, God, that you desire each and every one of us to be completely yours. I trust, God, that you have good things, great plans in store for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would remain soft towards you, that our minds would rest upon your word, that our spirits, God, would long to connect with your spirit, and that what takes place in our inner man and our inner woman would be fleshed out impact this world for Jesus Christ. I pray especially today, Lord, for those who would say, I can't even conjure up a yearning for God. I don't know what has happened or where that's gone. 
Lord, you once spoke to Elijah, and your voice was not in the fire, or the earthquake, or the wind, or the rain, but it was in a still, small voice that spoke to the heart of someone at the end of themselves, and they were renewed and refreshed, and what they thought was the end of their ministry was just the beginning. Lord, I pray for the Spirit of God to make Elijah's out of men and women in this place, that your voice would speak, and that our love relationship with you, God, would not be something that needs to be conjured, but just something that you reawaken by your Holy Spirit. I pray that today over us, your people. I pray, God, that we would remain soft towards you and ready to do great things for the kingdom of God in the coming days. Would you stand today? Father God, we pray that we would go from this place ready to be used by you. Lord, that you would speak and that we would listen. That we would ally ourselves with you and you alone. That we would be full of passion for your glory. And that God, everything that you put us on this task, on this earth to complete would begin to be completed in Jesus' name pray that you dismiss us now with your blessing and send us forth as your ministers and priests into this world. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.